Welcome to the Daily DDT Podcast, part of the Fan Sided Podcast Network. Here's your host, Jaden Becker. AEW Revolution sets pay-per-view record. WWE aiming for WrestleMania 37 to have the largest crowd for a U.S. event since COVID-19 pandemic. And I take you through the start of the COVID-19 pandemic and WWE's path through uncharted waters. I'm Jaden Becker and this is the Daily DTT Podcast. You can catch this podcast on all your favorite platforms for your morning drive, lunch break, or whatever you need your wrestling fix. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts so you never miss an episode. And remember, you can ask your smart device to play the Daily DTT Podcast. If you like content like this, check out our writers at DailyDTT.com. If you want to hear more from me, give me a follow on Twitter and Instagram at Jaden Becker TV. Let's get right into our news. AEW Revolution setting a pay-per-view record According to WrestleNomics, Revolution did 125,000 buys according to estimates. This number takes into account both traditional and digital platforms. The show reportedly generated over $5 million with AEW making over $2 million net revenue after splitting it with distributors. First AEW pay-per-view to ever take place on a Sunday instead of a Saturday was Revolution. And a double or nothing, their next pay-per-view in the, on May 30th uh, will also take place on a Sunday, which also might give them a big boost as well. 125,000 buys is huge, as their last pay-per-view only uh, revved up around uh, 85,000. So for them to go up uh, 40,000 buys, and that obviously being due to the uh, deathmatch booked for the main event, uh, obviously a huge move for... AEW and uh, congratulations because uh, that that's a, a big thing to get when it comes down to pay-per-view buys. Uh, WWE aiming for WrestleMania 37 to have largest crowd for a U.S. event since the COVID-19 pandemic, as reported by Dave Meltzer in the Wrestling Observer new- newsletter, and later confirmed by John Alba of Spectrum Sports of all people, John Alba. Uh, WWE is looking to have up to 45,000 fans in attendance for each night of WrestleMania 37, which will be held at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa, Florida, an outdoor venue and also the same venue as the Super Bowl. Uh, For reference, uh, the maximum capacity for Raymond James Stadium is at 65,890, and the Super Bowl, which was held at Raymond James Stadium, allowed up to 25,000 fans to attend, but you have to remember 7,500 of those fans were vaccinated healthcare workers and obviously uh, well-trained professionals and knowing what to do and what not to do in a global pandemic. Uh, As of now, WWE has not uh, announced whether WrestleMania will uh, implicate a similar method where healthcare workers are uh, getting priority or people that are vaccinated are getting priority or anything like that. Uh, They haven't mentioned, uh, they had the idea of going up to 45,000, but we'll see what it will look like for WrestleMania. I mean, it would look awesome, but at the same time, you have to be safe about it. You don't want to be the reason why everything has to shut back down again in Florida. Uh, Tickets for WrestleMania will go on sale Tuesday, March 26th, if you are interested. And uh, obviously a huge time to be a wrestling fan especially if you do want to. This is the first time you can really get major tickets for a major event uh, outside of AEW, which has been holding uh, sparingly for here and there for uh, AEW at Daly's Place in a limited capacity. Obviously, 45,000 fans. uh, If you find your way into Raymond James Stadium, that would be pretty awesome. We're going to take a look back now at WWE and COVID-19 in 2020. 
their journey at the start of the global pandemic. Uh, just to preface this, uh, I, I'm really going to take a look back around like the first few months of the global pandemic, starting from March, April, May, and June, just around the time where it, everyone's life really was on pause. Everyone had to leave their school and go back home. Everyone had trouble with work and had to start working from home, just being in isolation and being in lockdown and all that. So uh, if it just a reminder, but this is the time where I'm trying to go back to uh, and just to see where WWE was, where they were headed and what ended up happening and how they had to uh, walk the tightrope, if you will, and guide themselves through uncharted waters with no map, no flashlight, nothing like that. Had to do it all on their own and were honestly the, the leaning pioneers at some points of the global pandemic and getting fans, uh, or just not getting fans, but getting uh, through a pandemic and still being able to put on live event shows. So at the beginning of March, before the pandemic swept through the United States, the WWE was ramping up towards WrestleMania. WrestleMania 36, uh, last year's WrestleMania was set to take place in Raymond James Stadium, as we all know. Uh, the whole gimmick of the pirate and uh, all the stuff like that. Uh, when the pandemic hit, federal and state action stopped all large public gatherings throughout the country. WWE was able to get past this by using their facility in Orlando, Florida, normally used to train new talent, the Performance Center. Uh, when the state of Florida went into lockdown on April 1st, the WWE was not originally exempt. Uh, to combat this, the WWE pre-taped shows in bulk se sessions to last weeks into the lockdown. So if I remember correctly, if we're going back into the beginning of April, WWE would tape uh, two, three weeks worth of shows in like two days. So they would get into the Performance Center, do everything that they would have to do for the next few weeks, and then uh, people would have their time off and everything like that. But at least they had the content there to drive for the next weeks or so, which was a smart move, but also not so smart given that you're in Florida and it was a smart move in general because you don't want people coming in and out, in and out, in and out of the building and crossing straight state lines and everything like that. But at the same time, uh, for them to uh, still hold tapings, it was a big question mark in the air. It's like, is this a safe thing to be doing? Fortunately for the WWE, on April 9th of 2020, Florida passed a bill to allow employees at professional sports and media production with a national audience to be exempt from the lockdown. So it took nine days for the WWE to uh, figure it out and honestly the state of Florida to figure it out on what was going to happen with uh, major events. Uh, this is uh, alongside uh, events that coincided with Linda McMahon, the wife of WWE CEO Vince McMahon. Linda McMahon donated $18.5 million to the state of Florida. This money reportedly from Linda McMahon's super PAC to help reelect Donald Trump into office. So obviously it doesn't look great there for Linda McMahon and for Vince McMahon for that matter. Uh, honestly, for the WWE as a whole, given the connection there, pretty much looking like you're bribing off the Florida state government to make sure that you could still hold on events. And that bribe being an $18.5 million bribe is uh, something to be sp spoke about as well. I could not leave that out. Uh, but at the same time, it was an effort to keep professional wrestling on TV, at least from a WWE standpoint. And they did definitely succeeded at that. Although the WWE has taken some shady paths towards staying on television, the company made the effort to abide by health protocols, an effort to bulk tape 
uh, content over one week has been on the forefront of the WWE at that time. Uh, so once again, as I mentioned, to really cram in all the content that you can for that one week so people could have a few weeks off later down the line uh, was a good idea to try and keep people safe as much as possible. Uh, by doing this, as I mentioned, talent and crew don't have to travel across state borders every week just to tape a show that maybe they even spend uh, 10 minutes on camera for. Uh, the precaution backfired when Vince McMahon called for tape, tapings to return to a live schedule. And this was because at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, contracts were sort of at a little bit of a confusion because USA and Fox only allowed three tape shows a year. And usually these tape shows are used for around Christmas time where you don't want people working on Christmas so you have a, a tape show. You don't want people working on New Year's or you know, you're allowed these three taped shows to get you through the year uh, just in case something happens. Vince McMahon went back to the live shows just in case USA and Fox did have an issue with it given the contracts that they signed with them. You don't want to mess with USA and Fox and for that matter, especially Fox given that they're, they, they're getting paid a billion dollars for the rights to WWE. But Fox and USA turned a blind eye toward the contract clause for the health and safety of the employees throughout the early months of the pandemic. So they allowed them to do the bulk taping because obviously in the contract they didn't have a clause and they're saying as well, if a global pandemic happens, you, you can do as many uh, shows as you want, not live. But it, it is what it is. And honestly, uh, having... The, once again, having those shows not live wasn't necessary at the early point of the pandemic. It just wasn't necessary. We, we still got our wrestling fix through professional wrestling, through it not being live the same way as it would be if it was live. It was just obviously a little bit different for everybody to, to adjust. Talent has also uh, been told by the company at the start of the pandemic that their spot in the company wouldn't be affected. Uh, if they chose to be on television, we remember at the start of the p pandemic, Roman Reigns for the WWE didn't want to be uh, a part of it, which deservedly so, given the fact that he's uh, was is high risk and had leukemia, and you know for him to catch COVID, that would definitely be a huge issue for him and his family, given that, that that's his life at stake. And also Sami Zayn, who at the time when he left was the Intercontinental Champion, that championship had to be vacated. Remember the tournament that they held for it. And then he would end up coming back, uh, finding his way back to the WWE later on down the line, proving that his spot in the company wouldn't be tainted as he would win back the Intercontinental Championship. And same thing with Roman Reigns. Uh, he was off TV for a very, very long time and even came down to a point where they wouldn't even mention him on television for quite some time, Roman Reigns. Uh, you would, they would go through lists and go through promos and all stuff like that. And his face and likeness and everything would not be appearing on WWE television uh, after he went off of the WrestleMania card. Uh, he was supposed to have a match with Goldberg. Obviously, that match did not happen as Braun Strowman had the match with Goldberg and ended up winning the Universal Championship of all things. So, very odd, but uh, obviously a safe move for Roman Reigns to do. Ended up coming back and completely reinventing himself into something that uh, we all appreciate. And Sami Zayn picking up right where he left off and honestly also improved as well, uh, taking what we learned through uh, the protest movements throughout the uh, the summer of 2020 to also be involved in his character as well. The largest issue 
throughout the WWE and what they had to face was canceling that WrestleMania, WrestleMania 36, from Raymond James Stadium. According to Forbes, the WWE was estimated to lose $22 million in revenue due to the change in location. And as we know, instead of holding WrestleMania at Raymond James Stadium, WWE opted to continue to have their festivities behind closed doors at the Performance Center in Orlando, Florida. Uh, while no longer being tied to the constraints of Raymond James Stadium, the WWE split WrestleMania into two nights, and this was being marketed by the WWE with a tagline, Too Big for One Night. Uh, I thought this was great. Uh, obviously, the, the, the WrestleMania at the Performance Center wasn't the spectacle that we are used to seeing the WrestleMania, WrestleMania be. But, you know, WrestleMania is supposed to be like the Super Bowl of professional wrestling. And when you're literally at the start of a pandemic and no one knows what's next and what holds for the world around you, the fact that they still were able to put on a show and a successful show at that, uh, the fact that they were still able to do that uh, was definitely something. And this was very, very early on in the pandemic where, and in, for WWE's case, where they didn't have any piped-in crowd noises yet, we weren't even close to the Thunderdome yet. You know, we, we were just watching wrestling with uh, with the, the crowd noise toned down. And it, crowd noise makes so much more of a difference. And that's why this WrestleMania was a little bit, I wouldn't say lackluster, but it didn't have that same pageantry or feeling. It it felt like they had to put it together, and they did, and they did the best possible job for it. I still find it surreal that you you look back at the pictures of that WrestleMania, and you you see the WrestleMania logo all around you in for that show, but does it feel like a WrestleMania? I guess it did. I guess it did because the matches were so big, and you know, for them to go into two nights, I still feel like even with or without COVID, that's a good idea to go into two nights because nobody wants to sit through a five-hour show for WrestleMania. I know it's the biggest show of the year, but nobody likes a five-hour show no matter what type of show it is. So to split it into two nights and just make it two and a half hours, two hours, 45 minutes for each show, that would be great. I think a lot of people would enjoy that and they you're making a weekend out of it for people that actually are coming into the city. And wherever it is, let's say the next one's in Dallas, as it is after this one, uh, you make a whole weekend out of it, and you get to enjoy the sights and sounds of Dallas, and you make a week of it. And that, that could be a great thing for not only the city, but for the WWE as well, as they are the driving factor of that. We also saw, uh, looking past WrestleMania, uh, they began using uh, taglines for pay-per-views. So WrestleMania, they did too big for one night, and this was also seen at uh, Money in the Bank, in 2020, WWE marketed the pay-per-view as having the most unique ladder match of all time. Uh, that match was taking place not in Orlando, but in Stanford, Connecticut at the WWE headquarters where they had the Money in the Bank ladder match at the headquarters where you literally had to climb the corporate ladder and reach the top of the headquarters to grab the Money in the Bank briefcase. I thought this was great. Uh, great pay-per-view. And uh, for them, once again, to think outside the box, like, all right, wh- what else do we own that we can use? And like, oh, we, we own this headquarters here. We can use that. And so they did. And I think it came out really, really well. It was very different as they had both the men's and the women's matches happen at the same exact time. I thought that was a lot of fun. Uh, some people, they were high and low on it, especially uh, with the, the spot where you throw Aleister Black and Rey Mysterio off the roof. I'm like, you know, there's no way they're dead. And then it's like, oh, they landed on a second roof. We all remember that. 
And, but those taglines really became a fixture of 2020 professional wrestling with the WWE as we saw that continue to be used. And I think it honestly came to, to a pinnacle at one point with uh, Backlash where Backlash wasn't named Backlash. It was the greatest wrestling match ever at Backlash. And that match between Edge and Randy Orton. And for a professional wrestling company and, and a promoter at the, at the WWE to b- book a match and call it the greatest wrestling match ever before the match even happens is a little risque. Is a little risque. Would I say it lived up to the hype? No, because nothing's going to ever live up to the greatest wrestling match ever that you debut. But was it a good match? Yeah, it was a great match. But is it the greatest ever? I don't think so. You can't have the greatest wrestling match ever at a backlash. No, it has to happen out of Mania. It has to happen out of SummerSlam. Something like that can't happen out of backlash. <laughs> but I think they did a great job with that as well. That was held at the Performance Center. And uh, that's when they started piping in some crowd noises that was highly amplified. It was a really, really good effect. And uh, they had Charles Robinson in uh, the old referee uniform with the bow tie and the blue shirt. They had the Madison Square Garden microphone hang down from the ceiling for the, the intros and everything like that. They used very unique camera angles. And they continue they use a camera angle like the bird's eye view above the ring. They should be using that more and more. I still feel like that camera angle is such a great camera angle for a perspective shot, especially with two wrestlers laying down on the mat. Uh, I feel like that should be used more often. We don't see that as much anymore in the WWE. We see it in AEW, but we don't really see it in the WWE anymore. But I think they made the most of what they could, especially with those pay-per-views. Uh, you know, remember Gold Rush for uh, Class of Champions and uh, uh, the Extreme Rules, the horror show, uh, the horror show Extreme Rules. Remember that that the names that they were given these? Very, very unique. And uh, I thought they were good headliners and stuff like that, but... I felt like for them to continually, continuously do it was a little bit annoying, but I got the message of it. And you got to do something different. And I guess it was a good time to test things out as well. Uh, WWE also had great success by making more cinematic matches. Uh, this started at the last year's WrestleMania to larger claim from jaded and casual fans. Uh, example being the Firefly Funhouse match, my favorite match of 2020 by far. And... Uh, for the way that that match went off, it could. If some people argued that's not, it's not even a match. It was more like a a movie. It wasn't like how many punches were really thrown, even, you know. But it it was so surreal that they actually put that on WWE uh, programming. That for for them to put that together was fantastic. And also the Boneyard match at WrestleMania as well with the Undertaker. Uh, we all know that the Undertaker at that time to face off against AJ Styles. It probably wouldn't have been the best in-ring match. We're not, I'm not denying AJ Styles' talent, but I'm, I'm sort of questioning The Undertaker's ability at his age. And for him to put on a match in-ring would have been difficult, especially through a pandemic and no crowd there. It would have been, I think it would have been a shame to see. But to see that match in a cinematic sense where The Undertaker can move at the pace that he needs to move at, AJ Styles is there to complement him in every way, shape, and form. And that match went off without a hitch. I thought it was a fantastic, fantastic, fantastic match. The only reason I put the Firefly Funhouse match over it is because it's, it's something that we've never, ever, ever seen before. When WWE laughing at themselves in that type of way or pointing the finger at themselves. Uh, for the Boneyard match, yeah, it was a fantastic match. And a lot of memes came from it as well. 
but I have to put a little bit lower. But either way, uh, I think it sets a new precedent as well of what you're able to do with talent and expand their career and honestly extend their career from uh, a standpoint of when it might be a little bit too late down the line, a little bit too further down the line where they can't have these great in-ring matches anymore, put them in a cinematic match, much like how we just recently saw with Sting and Darby Allin and all that uh, in the street fights against Brian Cage and and uh, uh, Ricky Stark. So it was nice. It was nice. And I think they set the precedent uh, going forward. We're going to take a break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to be talking about some Vince McMahon uh, we're going to talk about some of the sad things that really came from the, the COVID-19 pandemic and some of the issues that we saw when it comes down to gluttony and greed when we talk about Vincent Kennedy McMahon. And we're also going to do some uh, on this day in pro wrestling. So don't miss out. Stick with us right here on the Daily DDT Podcast. On this day in pro wrestling history, a huge day for title matches on March 15th, 1997, Raven defeated Tommy Dreamer and Stevie Richards in a three-way dance to retain the ECW World Heavyweight Championship. On March 15th, 1998, Sting defeated Scott Hall to retain the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. And on March 15th, 1999, Rey Mysterio Jr. defeated Billy Kidman to win the WCW Cruiserweight Championship. There wasn't really anything defining on this day, but there's plenty of like title matches that were on this day. So figured I'd stick with that and that narrative there. And uh, we're going to have some good uh, title matches coming up on, on Raw tonight as well. But we'll get into that a little bit later. Sticking with the WWE and going through COVID-19. Uh, I talked to you a little bit about the things that WWE put into effect uh, early on in the pandemic. And some of the things that they tried to do and test. And especially with the, the gimmicky names for the pay-per-views. And uh, trying out the cinematic matches. And uh, really just doing their best to go through as i like to say uncharted waters with no map nothing like that and constantly walking the the razor blade of the beginning of the covid pandemic because one too many covid cases and you're done for and there's not going to be any wwe television for quite some time so obviously they got through that and as they didn't miss an episode throughout all of 2020 uh, obviously a successful movement but it did come through uh, some shady dealings and some big issues when it comes through the eyes of uh, Vince McMahon and his fun world of the WWE. Uh, Vince McMahon has publicly stated at the time uh, in the early on the pandemic that the show must go on for the WWE and McMahon's efforts just stem from one issue, well, most multiple issues and multiple vices and that being greed, that being gluttony and that be all coming from the point of view of, of trying to hold as much money as possible through this pandemic. Uh, McMahon communicated to shareholders that the WWE is looking to do right by the fans and continue to produce content. But at the time, shareholders were upset with McMahon after the XFL Chapter 11 bankruptcy report revealed that the WWE had $300 million invested in the football startup after McMahon publicly stated that the two companies were completely separate entities. Uh, think about that for a moment. Vince McMahon completely lied to shareholders saying that the XFL and the WWE had no tying together. At the time of the pandemic starting, the XFL was in the middle of their season and obviously had to be canceled. A lot of people find that as a failure of the XFL. I, it's not their fault. The pandemic happened. It's not their fault. And they could be starting up soon. Obviously not under the thumb of Vince McMahon anymore, given that he uh, filed for bankruptcy from that. And now under the thumb of uh, The Rock, of all people, which I find 
fantastic and very good uh, story, to long-term storytelling, if you will. But the, to save face, Vince McMahon uh, put enormous effort into cutting costs in the WWE, and this came to a head in what is known now as Black Wednesday, where at least 19 members of on-air talent and 40% of the backstage crew were relieved of their contracts. Uh, this move pr was projected to save WWE $4 million a month. WWE has also pushed the, back the development of the new headquarters uh, that they were supposed to build. I have no idea on what that update is now on their new WWE headquarters at this point. Uh, I think that might just be scrapped to the wayside, much like many plans were at the start of the pandemic, and no one knew where it really was going to be heading. And at this point, <laughs> they're just sticking in Connecticut as much as long as they can. Uh, it's been reported that at that time, the WWE had $500 million in reserves. So for them to save $4 million a month was adding... Uh, if you will, pocket change to uh, the extra $5 million that they had ready to go. Uh, the message from group to group changed as employees could be released at any moment by the company with the power completely in Vince McMahon's hands. On-air talent uh, were offered the opportunity to ask for their release with no questions asked, which could be a respectful thing to do, but at the same time, uh, it also allowed for the WWE to release people at will it felt like, especially on that Black Wednesday, it was an absolute travesty of a day, especially knowing now how much money they had in reserves. And also, especially knowing now how much money they got for the WWE Network. You know, they got a, a $1 billion contract from NBC, Universal, and Peacock to hold the rights to the WWE Network for, I think it's a five-year deal at this point. For that to happen and to have all this money coming in, I, I, I'm mind-boggling, absolutely mind-boggling on how they were morally uh, able to release all these people knowing that they have the funds to support these people in a time where people needed to be supported. An absolute travesty, but uh, the WWE fans, however, were seeing a different message compared to the grim inner workings of the company. McMahon at the early part of the pandemic pushed to see more feel-good stories on television and pay-per-views to provide a distraction for the audience in the early part of the COVID-19 pandemic. And this came to fruition as babyfaces got pushed in the company to win more matches. I think the best example of this is Otis winning the Money in the Bank briefcase and Asuka uh, being slapped on with the Raw Women's Championship and just still holding that Raw Women's Championship, even though now she has a concussion of all things and a lost tooth. And at the early part of the pandemic, we were seeing a lot more feel-good stories. That sort of changed around summertime, which was good because you don't want to be happy-go-lucky all the time with the WWE. You want to see, you know, some. You want to see drama. You want to see emotion. You want to see people on the edge of their seat and not just assuming that the babyface is going to win all the matches. But in the early part, I guess it was a good idea. But compared to the inner workings of the company at the time, where it was grim and bleak and obviously very, very sad to be working in the WWE and very dangerous to be working in the WWE is that because you could be losing your job in an instant. 
for for that to be portrayed on television, well, I would say was very hypocritical of them. But what are they supposed to do? Also, are they supposed to put on sad stories all the time throughout COVID? No, it, they had the right motive of trying to be that distraction. Because what was W and what is WWE for a lot of us? What is professional wrestling for all a lot of us? It is a distraction from the real world. They get to tell stories that you don't see in the real world, and they get to you know get to be characters that are above all things, right? So for that to be the distraction and for that to be the only quote-unquote sporting event on television, right? The only uh, competitive action on television with the MLB going down, with the NHL, NBA, uh, the NFL in question. It wasn't, wasn't NFL season yet, but that in question, the NCAA tournament, which was, was in March being canceled, be, being pushed by the wayside. The Olympics in 2020 being pushed. So uh, a lot a lot of things fell to the wayside, but WWE and professional wrestling, at least on a mainstream standpoint, uh, did not. Looking at today's world... In COVID-19, the landscape, it obviously looks a lot different. It looks a lot different. Uh, a huge success of the WWE Thunderdome, that came around SummerSlam, I believe, of 2020. And I, wa- I was able to get onto the f- Friday Night SmackDown version, the first ever Thunderdome uh, event where they allowed fans to uh, log in and you had to get lucky you had to click it quick right away and I was a part of that first group we got three people I got me my my brother and I was able to get my my I think my dad's email a part of it as well and for all of us to be a part of that what I will say if you've never been a part of the Thunderdome and if you have if haven't yet I would say try and get on to it at least once I wouldn't do it for a pay-per-view I will say that but do go try to go on to it for at least once and be a part of it. See if you can find yourself on TV. That will always be fun. But for me, it was kind of a distraction because I was too, always too busy trying to look for myself on the screen instead of me actually trying to focus on the show that they were putting on. I guess that might just be a me thing. It could be different for you because I see all the time now that that you like the person they'll be wrestling out in the crowd and they'll be right in front of the person's face on the screen and they're not reacting in any way they're not waving or anything like that so like are you are you even looking are you are you, are you missing something here buddy and uh so that that's what makes me laugh but uh i i would say try to do it at least once it definitely is a, a fun time to to get it all together and you do get some inside stuff throughout commercial breaks and things like that and, and you also are a little bit ahead of what's on the television but i wouldn't do it for a pay-per-view especially if you want to enjoy uh the pay-per-view or maybe you you would you would like to be there you'd be in the moment of the paper be there for the big moments maybe you're, you're right there front and center on the hard camera in the first row that'd be great and also just talking about covid in general uh covid19 vaccines being more and more readily available uh, our understanding of the virus has grown tremendously. And I think one of the biggest points here, we as a society are willing to make, take more calculated risks and what we are able to tolerate when it comes to COVID. In the beginning of the pandemic in March, in April, uh, there was no problem if you had fear of leaving your home, if you had fear of going to work. Because no one really knew what this was. No one really knew what this pandemic was going to look like. We knew a lot of people probably going to die. We knew a lot of people probably were going to get infected. And the big problem with that was that a lot of people were afraid to to live, afraid to live their normal lives. Now, we're a year out from the start of the pandemic, and now we're, we're trying to get back into the sense of normalcy. We're trying to get back into the sense of living our lives once again as we tried to live it uh, in prior. Right? Obviously, we're no longer... 
we're we're going living in a new normal in a sense of uh, we're forever going to be cautious of health and health safety for forever and ever. I feel like, or at least for this next decade, in the next two decades, we're going to be a constant force of looking at health safety and everything like that. And this COVID nineteen, I don't think is anywhere near done. Uh, we're going to have to probably live through this for uh, at least another half year. And then finally, hopefully reach a point, especially with the vaccine being rolled out. But just a perfect example. If tickets went up today for, let's say, Ring of Honor, they're supposed to, they're in Baltimore and tickets went up today, 50% capacity. I think a lot of people would be a lot more excited to go to that event now than instead if they put on that same event this time last year. I think a lot of people would be very hesitant to go to that event given the unknown nature of what this virus was and where we were as a society then. But now, uh, I think a lot of people are a lot more willing to take that risk to go to the event, even though we are still living in a pandemic. If we, all, we all know now what precautions to take. We all know now, you know, we are supposed to wear our masks, we're supposed to wash our hands and sanitize everything like that, and we are just being a lot safer as a society. So we are willing to take more and more risks. And uh, we'll see as those risks try to look towards a more sense of normalcy in life, uh, how far that will go, and especially in the near future, because I'm I'm excited to get back to a wrestling event. Right now, I'm currently in upstate New York in Ithaca College for uh, I'm studying broadcast media. So for me, right now, if they had an event in upstate New York or in anywhere in the tri-state area, and they're selling tickets, I'm going. I I can't wait to go to a professional wrestling event, especially for how long I've been covering professional wrestling and. Uh, how long I've been trying to get back to an event. I haven't been to a professional wrestling event in a very, very long time. I honestly I can't really tell you the last time I've been to one. It's been it's been a while for me. And I'm excited to have the opportunity to go back. And I hope, I hope that I've, that opportunity comes soon. But I guess we'll have to see. And obviously, from a safety standpoint, uh, I would like to be as safe as possible as well. You know, a lot of people are hesitant as well. We, we see in Texas that they're opening up capacity to uh, 100% to sporting events. So if you're a Texas Rangers fan for baseball, you're, you're, you're wide open. You're, you're going 100% capacity. There's no, no holds barred there but it, in the state of new york uh, we're looking at around 10 15 percent so for city field uh, the, uh, i relate best with baseball so for city field and what they, they're looking like they're looking at around like six thousand fans instead of forty thousand, as they are looking at in texas currently at the moment but should be a fun ride we'll see what happens going forward with covid but just recognize where we came from from the wwe performance center with the wwe and where we're headed into a fan event at wrestlemania where fans are actually going to be there and as we talked about in the news reportedly we could have a chance of seeing 45,000 fans there at wrestlemania which could which could uh, ring some bells and some sirens but uh, as long as it's done safely and done correctly i, I would be more than happy to see that but uh, hopefully we can get to a wrestling event soon. Next episode, uh, we're going to be talking about tonight's Monday Night Raw. A couple big matches on this card. Riddle versus Mustafa Ali in a United States title match. And the New Day going to challenge the Raw Tag Team Champions, the Hurt Business. So that should be fun. Uh, don't be surprised if one of these titles change. Uh, we definitely could see that. And I'm hoping that... It's the uh, Ali situation, but I don't think he has enough juice behind him. But maybe this is could be the start of something more for Mustafa Ali. 
but we will definitely see and there should be a fun episode tonight for monday night raw sadly it's three hours as monday night raws always are i will i will continue to complain about the three hour raw forever and ever until that gets changed but that's all for me you can catch this podcast on all your favorite providers make sure you subscribe on apple Podcasts so you never miss an episode and remember you can ask your smart device to play the daily ddt podcast if you like content like this check out our writers at dailyddt.com if you want to hear more from me give me a follow on twitter and instagram at jaden becker tv i'll see you tomorrow with another episode of the daily ddt podcast